Welcome to Finally Alive Radio with Pastoral Counselor Gary Harris. To find out more, please go to finallyaliveradio.com. All right, so we, we finished up Acts 11. So we're just going through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter. I'm just trying to glean and, you know, just trying to... Uh, I don't know, it's, it's for, for maybe some of us, it's review. and um, But kind of going through it verse by verse has something about it, right? Just kind of really taking our time with it. Um, we've also attempted to go back to the Old Testament anytime an Old Testament uh, verse was quoted, just to see what the context was, right? And that's, I think that's the key. And I'll say it, I'll say it again. You need the Old Testament. You can't do New Testament without Old Testament. You know why? Because Peter and Paul keep quoting the Old Testament. So you can't just, you know, get half of the story. To be saved, yeah, New Testament. That's where the, the gospel is. But Outside of that, you need to know. You need to know what um, the history of it is, too. Anyway, quick uh, recap. Uh, with At least chapter 10, we learned about this man named Cornelius. Not the cornflakes guy, right? So or the so Cornelius, he's a top dog in the Italian cohort, is what I call it. So he's a top dog. And he is our kind of official, unofficial first Gentile to be saved. Because remember what's happening is from Acts 2... It starts off Jerusalem and Samaria, right? It starts off there. That's, that's where the, uh, I don't want to call it like a movement, but it's like the movement. The movement starts there and it just grows and grows and grows and grows. And you, you notice I'm going further and further out. And the further out they're getting, the less Jewish it's getting. And that's the key. They had to start from the, the, the Jewish, I guess, you know, the, the hotspot, if you will, right? That, that's like the headquarters, if you will. That is God's territory. That was God's territory. That is God's territory. And that was important. It had to start there. And uh, well, okay. And, and the other thought was, they had to start with their own, oh, that's what it was, uh, like Paul says, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So that, that has a little bit of a connection here too, right? So it has to start with the Jews and it goes further and further out. Now, what freaks them out is, oh, the Gentiles too? Because if you remember, I think it was chapter, the end of chapter 9, it ends off with, oh, and then Peter goes and sees Simon the Tanner. And that's like, oh, wait, what? Oh my gosh, because a Tanner, you don't hang out with a guy who hangs out with dead skins. Okay, you don't do that. Leather, right? They wouldn't do that. So, and that's your clue into chapter 10, uh, right? And then off we go into the, the Italian. He's a Gentile. He's an outsider. Wait, how is this going to work? Well, how does it work? A miracle happens, right? Peter gets a vision. Remember the sheet, right? He sees a sheet. He sees a vision. And then he realizes, oh, okay, this is for this. This is for this situation here with Cornelius. He's going to get saved. What? Okay. The Gentiles too, I guess. So that's, that's where it all gets started. And then if you remember chapter 11, we're just going to really quick uh, recap. The moment a Gentile, an outsider, gets saved, what happens? Like It's like one, verse 1 or 2 here. Who shows up? The circumcision party shows up. Do you guys remember this? Yeah. The circumcision party shows up and says, wait a minute. Not the Gentiles. This, is, this isn't their God. But can you blame them? That's, they, 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 to, to their knowledge and their traditions and their way of doing things, their culture, Gentiles are outsiders. You don't mingle with the Gentiles. You don't mingle with the nations. But here, Peter gives him the story. No, I got a vision. Here's the vision. This is what happened. And guess what? Right after I got the vision, these guys show up to my door. And guess what? They take me to this guy. And that guy had a vision. Not a coincidence, guys. He's telling them, it's God. This is the way God has moved. And he's doing it now too. And he wants the Gentiles. And guess what happens? The circumcision party, they have nothing else to say after that. And they, they, remember, it says like, they, they were kind of like, I think they were left almost, not, not speechless, but they were just quiet. It's like they didn't say anything else after that. But we also touched on how the circumcision party was uh, also uh, James. James, the brother of Jesus, he was a part of 
that circle. If you guys remember that, we, we read some verses, I think Galatians and other places where Paul talks about it. He says the circumcision party, along with James, you know, the, these guys, right? So, and then there was that group that Paul talks about. These groups were there, these groups were there, and then the, then the circumcision party, certain ones from that, from that party, they were there for me. So you'll have like the group there that are okay, and then the, the group that's uh, the Jamesians, and we're, we're getting to James. So anyway, so that's quick background of, of the couple last weeks that we've, we've uh, looked over this. So chapter 11, he gets into why he did what he did, right? And we have, like we said, the circumcision party. We move on. Um, and then in verse 26 of chapter 11, that's our first time we see the word Christian. And they're called Christians where? In Antioch. And that's a special moment, not just because it's the first time that they're called Christian, but it's, it's cool because, oh man, they're getting so big, we have to actually label them. They're not like anyone else anymore. We can't call them Jews, right? So we have to give them a name. What, what do you call this giant group of people? What do you call all these people? Well, they're uh, the Christ people, the Christians. And that's what happens, okay? So, so that's the cool part. It's not just that it's the first time, but it's also that, man, they got so big. There's so, that's what it's telling you. There's so many of us now that, man, we have to give you guys a label. We have to, we have to call you guys something. So it's, it's, it's happening. That's the whole point. All of this is more, just more and more proof of what Jesus said was going to happen. What did he say? Hey, wait, wait for me. Remember, stay and wait. Stay and wait, and then watch what's going to happen. The Spirit's going to come. The covenant is going to come, and then... Uh, you, you guys will get more instructions as you go and go, right? That's exactly what happens. And what do they say? Jerusalem and then Samaria. And exactly like that. That's where it started. And then it just grew and grew and grew. Anyway, uh, quick background. But let's go to chapter 12 now. Chapter 12 should be fairly quick. So we'll, we'll get through this chapter fairly quickly here. So we got the background, but uh, verse 12, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king, and, and here's, here's where things, Herod the king. Now, there, there's a couple different Herods. We have uh, Herod the Great, which was in Jesus' time. And this is Herod uh, Agrippa, I think the first. So not the same guy, okay? Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And this is like the constant thing we keep seeing, don't we? You guys remember this? What happened a couple of chapters ago? Stephen gets killed. And then Peter gets jailed. I think it was Jerusalem. I can't remember now, but it was, I think it was Jerusalem. What happens? Oh man, now, now it's getting bad. They, they don't want him. They, oh, after Stephen gets killed, everyone gets scared and they leave Jerusalem, right? You guys remember that? And we got more drama here, okay? The moment a Gentile is saved, <laughs> the moment God moves, you always get the other side coming in. And what do they do? They laid, laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. What, what does laying on violent hands mean? It's purposeful. I'm going to mistreat you. There's going to be abuse that's about to happen right now. Because on what basis? Why would, you, why would you hold these guys? Well, we're going to mistreat you. That's basically what, what he's saying here. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, did you guys catch that? It pleased the Jews. All right, so because it pleases the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So what's Herod Agrippa, this guy, what is he doing? Yeah, he's appeasing the Jews. Why? Probably keeping peace? Exactly, exactly, because Christians are a new group, and they're a threat to anything else, right? Think about it. I mean, this is just, just think strategically. You don't even need the history. Think strategically. Herod, Herod the Great was already a fraud, right? What do you think this guy is? They're, they're, they don't care about the people. They care about themselves. And you get Christians who don't, you can't control those guys because they have their own king, don't they? Jesus, right? They follow God. They're a threat. They're a threat to me. And you know what? The Jews, the Jews are on my side anyway. They do what I say anyway. I'm going to appease to the Jews. Do you see like the, the strategy there? So because it, it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. 
How many times has, has Peter gone into prison so far? This is number two, I think. In Within a couple chapters, guys. Within a couple chapters. This is his second time going into prison. I mean, think about what had to happen, man. I mean, look look at how much stuff has happened already. Already. The, the guy's in prison twice. So, hey, I'll, I'll throw this out there. Is, um, what, if it, what if it goes there? What if it, God forbid that we have to go through that. But obviously, you're not going to hell if you go to prison. All right, let's start there. Okay. But um, sometimes it, it's, it's part of the walk. I hate that. I don't like that idea. But sometimes it's part of the walk. This is Peter. It's number two for Peter here. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out, out to the people. Why did he get four squads? Why four squads? What happened last time with Peter? The angel lets him out. They probably know that story. And guess what? This time, you know, we're going to double up on, uh, on the guards. We're going to make sure you don't escape this time. We're going to take care of this Peter guy. You see, there's reason for all this. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This is key. This was the greatest weapon. This is the greatest weapon that we have, right? Prayer. What do they do? The moment he goes uh, to prison, there they go. The church starts to pray, starts to pray. Why? Because they have faith in God. And there's still this movement that's happening. And it just started. And it's just, uh, if you will, infected the Gentiles. It's just getting started with the nations. All right. Verse six. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door uh, were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. This is like almost the same story, right? The first time, similar, similar uh, situation, right? An angel of the Lord stood uh, next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. So let's talk about prison for a second. This, this will, might get a little dark. I don't mean it to. But sometimes people will go to jail, unjustly I'll say, and God will, will get them out. Sometimes they need to be in prison. Peter's not that one. And I say that because in this, oh man, this, I, feel, I feel almost, I, I, just, I don't feel wrong. I, I feel bad. I'll put it that way. Because we might have friends or family or something that, that is in prison. And we want them out so badly because we love them and all that stuff. But you know what? Sometimes people need to be in there, unfortunately. No, so don't kill a messenger. I'm just saying that's just the way life is. Peter wasn't that. He didn't do anything wrong. The only thing he did wrong is being a Christian. Does that make sense? That's it. He did nothing else wrong. I guess I say that because don't compare Peter and what's happening to Peter to that person, your friend or family who's in jail. All right? That doesn't mean you don't pray for them. But who knows, man? You, you don't know. The, see, the whole point of our life is to the glory of God. So you don't know what that person's doing in jail. Now, if they did something wrong, well, they've got to do the time. That's just the way that is, all right? Can God do miracles? Of course he can. But then again, they, you're, whoever that person is, is not Peter. All right, so do not compare. Do not use this verse to say, see, if he can do it for Peter, he can do it for your, your friend. Well, man, you're really, you're really stretching that one, guy, all right? But anyway, Peter's a different story. Get up uh, quickly, he says, and the chains fell off his hands. Verse 8, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He's, he's out of it, guys. He's, he just woke up. He's like, what's going on? Putting on his clothes, off he goes. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of, of its own accord. Isn't that kind of weird? And the door just opens by itself. God wants something done, it's going to get done. Yeah, man's hands or no one's hands need to touch it. If God wants the door open, if God wants a cell door open, it's going to open. You can't control that, I can't control that. But why is he doing such miraculous things? I have to remind you guys again, why? Because there's a mission. There's a very important mission being done as we speak in the book of Acts. So yeah, we're going to see some amazing things happen. Why don't we see that anymore? 
because it was already done. Can miracles still happen? We've talked about this. I think I'll talk about this almost every time now, huh? Do miracles still happen? Of course they do. Of course they do. But if we're going to claim this nation as a Christian nation, which most people claim that they are, 70 to 80 percent, I think, claim that they're Christian or Catholics, you know, under that umbrella, probably less likely to see miraculous things happen. Is it, are there miracles still happening? Of course there is. But what are, what are the miracles for? First sign and a wonder. And I even said this last time, Hey, I'm, I'm up for miracles, but I prefer seeing people saved. That's that's what this is all about. Mir- miracles do nothing. I, I, I think I made the example last time. A man has a withered hand, and God heals him, and now his hand is whole. Who cares about that hand after the person dies? Cool miracle though, right? But who cares? What about that soul? So I, I would, again, I would suggest that we be more concerned about the soul than just someone, you know, getting a withered hand come back. Though it's awesome. That's really cool. But what will last? You guys understand. What will last? The soul does, right? So he thought he'd seen a vision. Verse 10, when they had uh, passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Notice the angel isn't going to walk with him all the way through. He just gets you to where you need to go, and then you got, you got the rest of it. I, I run into a lot of who genuinely believe in God, but they want God to do everything for them. Oh God, please, please, please do this for me. Please get me this job. Awesome. I'm glad that you're praying, but have you have you put out some some applications? Oh, I'm I'm going to get to that. Why why is God going to give you a job when you haven't even done the legwork? People think like that. And maybe maybe you do, maybe maybe I do. I'm I'm sure I I'm sure I have and I sure I'm sure I will. But there's legwork to be done. You know God wants you to be able to walk. Think of the the situation with Abraham, right? Genesis 22. What is what is he doing? Right? Isaac is on on the altar. What is he doing? You need to get up and experience something. You need to see, well, number one, prove to yourself who, who God is. Who is your God, right? Are you willing to sacrifice this miracle baby? God's doing something, but why? For the work that was going to happen after that, right? Do you, guys, do you guys understand that? God wants you to be able to walk independently, not independent from him like you don't have him anymore, but be able to get up and walk constantly. God, that's exactly, it's like a father with their child. What does a father want? What does a parent want? I want you to get up. I want you to be able to get up and walk on your own. Am I going to watch you? Of course I'm going to watch you. But I want you to be able to do this. You have to have some sort of independence. Does that make sense? God doesn't want you to, to, um, let me hold your hand every step of the way. No, no. Get up and walk. If you're made in the image of God, you're an extension of him anyway. You're an extension of him. So he wants you, he doesn't want you to stay a baby. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to walk. He wants you to go in and fall, but it's okay. He's there to help you back up. And if it's too much, he'll, he's there anyway. He's watching all the time. Man, we're going on rants today, huh? All right. So when Peter came to himself, verse 11, all right, immediately the angel leaves. <clears throat> now I'm, he says, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. He finally gets it. He's like, oh man, I just woke up and oh, I, I get it now, man. Verse 12, when he realized, he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he uh, knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Isn't that crazy? It's just like a funny verse. It's like, I'm not even gonna open the gate. I'm just gonna go and run. He's here. <laughs> open the gate, man. I don't know. It's just Sometimes you just you gotta laugh. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was, it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. What does that mean? It's his angel. So remember, they, they believed in guardian angels. So some of, the, some of the verses that they, they 
could probably connect to is, I'll just read it to you guys. It's just one, one or two verses here and there. Psalm 91, 11, for he will command his angels. This is, remember, this is the one that um, Satan quotes to Jesus, but it, it has an application. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So you, you can kind of see that guardian angel kind of kind of vibe to it. Um, in uh, Matthew 18, 10, it says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels... Always see the face of my father who's in heaven. So they have this idea of a guardian angel. They, they believed that. And, and that, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And then um, Hebrews has, has a verse too. But I, I think you guys get the point. So it's his angel. Well, you can always say, ah, maybe it's his ghost. You know, that, that's probably another possibility. But they actually thought, that there was actually a belief too that like your angel, your guardian angel would look like you. This is just another belief that they would have had. And it's like, oh, that's not him. It's his angel. Well, it's going to look like him because it's his angel. That, that, these are just thoughts that they had, right? But anyway, that's, that's a quick um, crash course into the, him, him and his angel. But that they, they believed, hey, it's, it's his guardian angel showing up and speaking or being there, right? But, but Peter, it says, verse 16, continued knocking. And when they opened, finally, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them uh, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. Who's, which James is this? Remember there was a James who just died? Not that guy. This is James, the brother of Jesus. His name's going to start to come up more and more now. So, so far, we've, we've already seen he's part of the circumcision party, okay? James and to the brothers. Now, what is Peter thinking? Peter sees James as, we're, we're, we're brethren, and that's okay. He's not doing anything wrong. But notice, he's connecting back to James. James, okay, all right, James, tell, tell them, let, let them know. So that's important for what's coming up in Acts 14, 15, you know, 16. So we're getting there. Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went uh, to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he uh, examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Man, isn't that crazy? It's not like that, I don't think, anymore. But you lose a prisoner, they kill you. Pretty harsh. Pretty harsh. That, yeah, there you go. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So notice his journey, Judea to Caesarea, and now verse 20. Now, to go on from verse 20 on, you have to remember where we started in, in the beginning of this chapter. How did it start? And then Herod, right? Herod did what? He mistreated some of the, the Christians, right? Some of the church. That's how it starts. And then what does it say? Oh, the Jews liked it. And then I, he took Peter. That's where it starts, right? And now, continuing from that, okay, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Now, remember these lines really quick, because uh, I'm, I'm going to, you'll see. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god, and not of a man. So they're, they're praising him. Immediately, and notice, notice when this happens, the angel shows up, right after what? When the people start shouting the voice of a God, not of a man. They're praising him. They're saying, man, you are a God, not a man. All right. Uh, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Now, how did it start? Remember with Peter? What happened with the angel of the Lord? He comes and gets him out. So it's kind of interesting. You see the, the mercy side? You know, you see the, 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 if you want the nurturing, the, God, the nice, the motherly side. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. God's not a woman, but you understand that motherly side. But then you see the justice side right here. And why? And it's going to tell you why he does this. I'm uh, taking my time with this because I want you to see God isn't unfair. He's, he's not just willy-nilly killing people. Notice how it started. Herod is messing with God's kids. All right? It's very important. And then we're not done yet. That's, that, that wasn't even the, the, final, the final straw. And it tells you right here. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck, struck him down. 
because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So not only you mess with ba uh, God's babies, and then you want to take glory? Oh man, you asked for it, bro. You asked for it. And that was the end of him. Josephus talks about this. And let me read what Josephus says about this. So this is, let's see, what is this? Book 19, I guess part 343 or verse 343. Uh, it says, now when Agrippa had reigned three years, oh, Agrippa's the guy, Herod. Okay, this is the same guy we're talking about. Had reigned three years, over all Judea, he came to the city Caesarea. Remember, he went to Caesarea, which is formerly called Stratos Tower. And there he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar upon his uh, being informed that there was a certain festival celebrated to make vows for his safety. At which festival, a great multitude was gotten together of the principal persons and such as were dignity through his province on the second day, of which shows he put on a garment made wholly of silver. Remember, it said... He put on a robe. You guys remember that part? We, we were just reading that. So it tells you a little bit more detail here. At which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. So think of the, the image. We, we, we're getting some more detail. Josephus gives us some more detail here. Acts says he puts on a robe, he goes out there and he says a speech and wow, they're all stunned, right? Well, now it tells you why. It's silver on him, man. And when the sun's gleaming on him, it's like, oh, I can't even look at the guy. He's like a god, okay? Just the way they would think. Remember, remember we talked about shiny, shiny things? You guys remember that? Yep, deity. You guys, you guys see the connection, connection here? So it freaks him out. Oh my gosh, he's a god, right? And presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place, another from another, though not for his good, that he was a god. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we uh, have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as a superior to mortal nature? They just put him in God's status there. All right. Upon this, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. That is what upset God. Remember how it said? Because he took the glory, right? But as he presently afterwards looked up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to him and fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain also arose in his belly. Oh, that's interesting. And began in a most violent manner. He therefore looked upon his friends and said, I whom you call a God am commanded presently to depart this life. What a line, huh? What kind of God is that? A God that dies? That's, that's kind of crazy, right? Well, Jesus is different, right? He dies and resurrects. Can't even compare him. So I, whom you call a God, am commanded presently to depart this life, while providence thus reproves the lying words you uh, just now said to me. And I, who was by you called immortal, am immediately to be hurried away by death. But I am bound to accept of what providence allots as it pleases God. Oh, good job. For we have by no means lived ill, but in a splendid and happy manner. When he said this, his pain was become violent. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace, and the rumor went abroad everywhere that he would certainly die in a little time. But the multitude presently sat in sackcloth with their wives and children after the law of their country and besought God for king's recovery. All places were also full of mourning and lamentation. Now the king rested in a high chamber, and as he saw them, below lying prostrate on the ground, he could not himself forbear weeping. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life, being in the 54th year of his age, and in the seventh uh, year of his reign. For he reigned four years under uh, Caius Caesar, three of them, were over 
Philip's tetrarchy only, and on the fourth he had that of Herod added to it. And he uh, reigned beside those three years under the reign of Claudius Caesar, in which time he reigned over the aforementioned countries and also Judea added to them, and also Samaria and Caesarea. So there you go. The revenues that he received out of them were very great, no less than 12 million and on and on it goes. So, so there, there's, there's kind of filling in some of the, some, some more story. The guy was wearing something silver that caught the sun, and man, it, it got everyone excited, right? But what happens? He takes the glory, and then it's like, oh man, the guy you guys call a god, well, uh, not so much. I gotta die. So, pretty crazy. But that's Josephus. That, that's interesting. It's outside the Bible. I, I like to, to get those, those connections outside the Bible. Herod the Great has a similar death. He, he apparently, I think he dies by by uh, worms also, so that or maggots. So that's uh, kind of an interesting thing. But uh, Acts uh, twelve twenty four. But the word of God increased and multiplied. So this is after he breathes his last breath. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing them, uh, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So notice how this chapter starts and how it ends. It starts with Herod and ends with Herod and literally ends with Herod. But then the final part isn't that Herod is dead. Yeah, he's dead, he's out of the way. But verse 24, that's the key. But the word of God increased and multiplied. You know what that's saying? Remember where we started? Back in little old Jerusalem. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it got to the Gentiles, right? Chapter 10. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Herod was in the way, right? He was in the way. He's, he's, he's manhandling whatever. He's, he's, he's mis- mistreating God's people. And then he, he, he jails Peter. And then that can't even stop him. God, God gets him out of the way. He literally kills the guy. And then what's happening again? Oh, that's right. And they're multiplying even more. It's telling you, you can't stop what God's doing. That's exactly what's happening. You can't stop him. You can't stop his movement. You can't stop his people because God's got their back. And guess what? You're one of God's people. He's got your back. As long as you're doing, you know, what, what he's asking you to do, you know, he's got your back. I was talking to someone and, and, and they were talking about how I'll, I'll say we. I, I think we saw that, the, that this person had a call, and they were scared. You know, it freaked them out. It freaked them out. And I said, well, number one, that's good. <laughs> Already a good start, because you're scared. You should be. It's, it's a scary thought. I mean, you know, I, I get it. I get it. It's a human side of you speaking. But I said, you've got to realize, if God has called you, and you do what God asks you, man, the, the protection you have on you, you know, the Secret Service has nothing on this kind of protection. So if God has given you a mission, he's going to see to it that you finish it, as long as you stay faithful to it, right? And luckily, if that was comforting to him, then praise God. But it's normal to, to have the fear, you know, that, that we're, we're human, we're just going to have that. But we want to make sure that we're not debilitated by that fear. And that's where the faith comes in, right? I don't know what's going to happen. God said this is what's going to happen, so I'm just going to trust that. Yeah, there you go. There you go, confessing your faith, all right? Notice it had nothing to do with my money, all right, when, when I was confessing my faith. But um, So be aware of that. Fear and faith, they can run hand in hand. How, how do you have faith? If I didn't have fear... I don't have fear because I know for a fact. Does that make sense? That's the only way I can have no fear. But uh, the fear is normal. I don't know what's behind that door or, or, you know, behind the wall. But God says, go there. Okay. Kind of dark. I don't know. I don't know what's over there. But the Lord said, go. I'm going to go. I, you, what do you do? You walk in faith, right? So it's, okay to have, so it's okay to have fear. I'm sure these men had fear. I'm sure Peter being in jail, that freaks them out. Oh my gosh, I can die, you know, tomorrow after my sentence. But... Uh, you walk in faith and the, the church was praying for him. You, do you see all these connections here? So, and there we'll stop. We'll go to chapter 13 next time. Thank you for listening to today's message. 2 Corinthians 9-7 tells us that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
If this message has been a blessing to you, we ask that you be a cheerful giver to this ministry by going to finallyalive.com forward slash give. We'll meet you again next time as we grow together and learn to be finally alive in Christ.